0: Welcome to Leadership Dialogues, a podcast for the greater New Orleans region. Leadership Dialogues is produced by the New Orleans Regional Leadership Institute, a nonprofit which provides a variety of nonpartisan platforms to inspire and engage business and community leaders in the greater New Orleans region. Following Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans and the greater New Orleans region have been at the forefront of educational reform, joining a short list of other cities around the United States that have worked to challenge the traditional delivery of education and address new ways to ensure that the talent, leadership, infrastructure, culture, and resources are there to provide successful outcomes for both students and our communities. In this episode, I'm joined by Joy Okoro, the Executive Director of Teach for America Greater New Orleans, and Patty Riddle the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for Entergy. Together we will discuss equity, access, and the 30 plus year legacy of Teach for America's educational leadership and the role it has played in transforming education in Southeast Louisiana. My name is Steven Ruther and you're listening to Leadership Dialogues. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Patty, Joy, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if we could, let's go ahead and do personal introductions. And uh, Joy is the executive director of Teach for America. Would you like to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
1: Absolutely. As Stephen mentioned, my name is Joy Okoro. I'm the executive director for Teach for America in New Orleans, uh, originally from New York City, but relocated to New Orleans 13 years ago as a Teach for America uh, educator myself. Uh, So I had the privilege of teaching three years total here in New Orleans. Uh, My first two in Jefferson Parish, Uh, And then helped uh, found Charter School here in the city uh, and then joined staff to Teach for America. So professionally, I've been on the team at Teach for America for the past 10 years in several different roles, anything from programs to partnerships, launching some of our new recruitment initiatives, etc. But for the past three years, I've had the privilege of leading as executive director which pretty much just means that I have the opportunity to meet with folks across the city and across the country and tell them what great work we're doing down here in New Orleans and hopefully encourage folks to be as evangelical about educational equity uh, as I have become over the years. Uh, So that's me professionally on the personal front. I am a proud first generation American. I am uh, Nigerian uh, and West Indian. I share that little bit about myself because I think it really has shaped why education has become such an important, you know, part of my life and and why I believe that it's it's the lever uh, because it was the lever for me. It was the lever for my parents when they came to this country. And so I'm so eager to be in this conversation today uh, and great to be here.
0: Thank you so much. And Patty, your involvement in the community is just um, almost too much to be measured, especially with your prestigious role as chair of the Norley Board of Directors. So if you could (laughs) give us a quick introduction about who you are and your role with Entergy.
2: So uh, my name is Patty Riddlebarger. I'm vice president of social responsibility for Entergy Corporation. And in that role, it is my honor to represent the 13,000 men and women of energy, and all of the many ways that they power life in the communities that we serve across Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and Mississippi. So in, in my role, I direct uh, corporate giving, the charitable foundation, volunteerism efforts, and then on the operational side, I'm also responsible for low-income programs for our low-income customers, um, which is a, a significant and major focus for our company, given that the regions that we serve are among the poorest in the country. Uh, Personally, like Joy, I'm also a first-generation American and uh, have been the beneficiary of all of the ethics and values that my parents instilled in me, first and foremost, an appreciation for education and and the importance of education. And so I think that really is a nice tie uh, for this conversation. And I didn't know that about Joy, so very interesting.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, it all begins when we talk about so many different issues that we face in southeast Louisiana and our state and country as a whole. It really goes back to access to quality education, being able to create opportunities for individuals to fully realize their talents and abilities. So I'm, I'm excited about this conversation as well. So, Joy, I know you mentioned that you've been here for 13 years. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Teach for America in the region? I'm sure it predates Hurricane Katrina, but obviously the dynamics changed after Hurricane Katrina. So could you discuss uh, the history and the dynamics of the organization here?
1: Yes, well, certainly. Uh, And I actually really love this question because I think it's sort of one of the things about our identity, you know, at Teach for America, particularly here in South Louisiana that a lot of folks do think Teach for America sort of started and began post-Katrina. But Teach for America here in New Orleans was one of the original nine regions for Teach for America. And so our work here in the region dates back to 1990. And the start of the work was really a simple, uh, with our founder, but quite ambitious vision. And that was that one day all students or all children will have access to an equitable education and so that mission has continued on 30 years in the making. And so in that early season, we were bringing anywhere between 15 to 30 teachers to the region annually to lead in schools. Um, but you are right that post-Katrina is when is what we would call our growth era, really. And so that's when at our peak um, in about 2008, um, we were bringing in about 250 teachers to the city. Annually. Uh, And that continued steady for about another five to six years. And then over time, that has sort of tapered slowly. And most recently, when we reflect on the past three years, particularly since I've been executive director, we've had a profound amount of alumni really stay in the city, continue to lead as teacher leaders, to erect new schools. Um, And so we really have balanced our program to support our alums as much as our core members, and those are the folks who are in their in-service two-year program. Um, And so currently, we bring in about between 90 and 100 teachers a year, Um, and in our history, we've had teachers leading from St. John the Baptist Parish all the way to Plaquemines Parish, Jefferson Orleans, St. Bernard, et cetera. And so we're just really proud of the impact that we've been able to have over the past few years, and that has been heavily fueled by a long-standing partnership with Patty and many of our supporters locally
0: that impact is absolutely incredible and i think it's worth noting that the individuals who end up teaching for teach for america aren't necessarily pure educators or or pursuing that path as a career Uh, it's just the proper opportunity for them and i think it i have to imagine at the classroom level it, it engages the students in a different way and also broadens their horizons In terms of what opportunities might be available and certainly with those different teaching styles and experiences that those core members would bring to it. Could you talk a little bit about what the the process is for an individual to become a core member and how they get located in New Orleans?
1: Uh, Before I jump into that, I do want to just put a fine tip on something you said that I think is really important because there is a duality of our program. A lot of folks sometimes think that Where We either exist primarily to fill vacancies in high-need areas, and that's an important, critical part of our work. We know that kids need teachers, and we do do that, Um, but at its core, fundamentally, Teach for America is a leadership development organization. We are doing two things at the same time. Um, We're a leadership development organization, and we also believe that teaching is the most profound act of leadership. And so our core members are going through an experience, a two-year experience, where they're expected to have a meaningful, life-altering impact on the students that they're teaching, but programmatically, they're also going through an experience themselves that hopefully transforms them, evolves their leadership, so that if they make the decision to stay in the classroom, or they go and pursue another life career or anything, that that proximity to students has really changed them and that they've had a programmatic experience that really transforms how they lead over time, regardless of where they're leaving. And so that's really important because sometimes it's really, it's like, it could be misperceived or perceived as a bad thing that teachers go and do something else over time. And I would argue that it's not. There there are young people that would have never considered a career in education that end up becoming lifelong educators because of their time at Teach for America. And there are some who go and pursue careers and do so in a way um, that they never would have because they've had this experience with kids. So that's important. But to back it all the way up and talk about how they become core members, we actually have a massive national recruitment team. And, you know, sometimes, you know, organizations get the question, like, what is your superpower? Uh, was, what is it that you all do really, really well? And this is it at Teach for America. We know how to find and develop our nation's most talented individuals. And so originally, I, I would say in our earlier years, we primarily focused on college campuses, trying to, you know, grab individuals and bring them into the profession at that point. Over time, 30 years in, we've learned lots of lessons, and we now balance that with, you um, you know folks who are about to graduate from college and mid-career changers who are realizing that they want to do something else and do something different and so we've applied our recruitment approach um, in multiple ways we have a veterans initiative we have a, a mid-career changer initiative so we have a national recruitment team that recruits our leaders and then they have an opportunity to actually indicate where across the country Uh, that they want to be, and they want to go where they want to go. And so we were able to really grow the core here in New Orleans, because, you know, post Katrina, the, the energy was palpable. You know, when I first came here, I had never been south of Atlanta, I had been out the country, but I, you know, originally being from New York, I had never been south of Atlanta. But you watched what happened in 2005 on TV, and it changed me. It changed people who never even, you know, got here. And so there was something to be part of here that was really special at that time. Uh, and I I feel so lucky to have been part of it, um, because I feel like my
2: life is has forever changed, too.
0: That's a wonderful testament. And, you know, for as much as your life might have been changed by the events and other individuals' lives might have been changed by Katrina, I can tell you the The regional landscape here in Southeast Louisiana has been forever changed by the talent of those Teach for America individuals coming in and contributing to the future of our region and to our state.
2: That whole experience really was so seminal in terms of of who and what New Orleans is today, you know, because you remember reading about the, you know, being the brain magnet. We would never have been that brain magnet had we not gone through the horrible experience that was Katrina. Um, you know, to say that there is a silver lining, maybe hackneyed, but in a lot of ways, it's true.
0: And Patty, since 2018, I know energy has contributed more than $18 million to support education and workforce development programs uh, within our region, which includes Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, starting with education first uh, and then moving on to workforce development. Tell us a little bit more about what drives the investment in these areas for Entergy, and what do you all look for in terms of impact from your investments?
2: So um, education is one of three philanthropic pillars for Entergy, along with poverty solutions and environmental programs. And the driving force behind our focus in education is rooted in the economic reality of the regions that we serve, which are among the poorest in, in the nation. Thirty to forty percent of Entergy's customers live at, or maybe just above, the poverty line, and that's a significant issue for us as a company because what impacts our customers impacts our company. And in two thousand, our previous chairman Jay Wayne Leonard identified poverty as one of our major uh, corporate focus areas, and so that really led to and drove our our focus on education. At that time, we commissioned a set of economic studies across all of our states. They were called miles to go. And these studies examined the root cause of poverty across our region. And they showed that almost as much as 60% of the gap between average household income in our states and the nation can be attributed to lack of educational attainment. That's huge. And so that's really how we came to focus roughly one-third of our annual philanthropy budget on education. Mm-hmm. Moving to uh, workforce development, our, our focus there has been a twofold. Economic development of the regions that we serve first, and then also addressing our own internal workforce needs. So about five years ago, uh, we launched a five-year, $5 million workforce development effort that was focused on identifying gaps in training and workforce skills and workforce readiness in the communities that Entergy serves and then partnering with community organizations to address those gaps so that those communities become more attractive in terms of economic development to uh, companies and businesses that are growing, expanding, relocating, etc. And um, it, it has been something that that worked uh, tremendously well. Um, we worked with our economic development teams as well as civic and business leaders in each community to identify the unique industries and opportunities that those communities wanted to focus on. So for example, in New Orleans, it was healthcare and technology. Those were the areas that we selected with our partners to work on. And um, we joined up with organizations such as Operation Spark, the Louisiana Community College and Technical System, First 72, recognizing the challenges that our community faces you know providing pathways to success for individuals who are re-entering society, uh, Delgado Community College, the LSU Health Sciences Center. Um, so those are some of the partners that we selected to work with here in New Orleans, and similar efforts took place across our entire footprint. Um, as a result, after our five-year, $5 million investment, we can say that um, almost 3,000 individuals received a uh, industry-recognized certifications and credentials that better equip them for jobs and make those communities a more attractive place for businesses. Um, We had almost 6,000 individuals enrolled in different uh, workforce training programs, and about 9,000 were placed on the path to living wage jobs. And so that's something that, that we really take a lot of pride in. And a couple of additional data points that I'll mention, and this is information that I got from Uh, GNO Inc. Uh, But New Orleans, during that time frame, New Orleans has emerged as a tech hub for minorities and women, and the city now ranks number five in the nation for African Americans employed in tech, and number three in the nation for women. So those are some really impressive statistics, I think, and and, and we're really proud of that. More recently, we've turned our attention to our internal uh, workforce development and uh, diversity efforts, and we're working very closely with our human resources department to create pathways to employment at Entergy for the individuals who are the beneficiaries of the community programs that we support philanthropically, because those individuals represent the full diversity of our communities. And that's something that we are working on and striving towards as as a company, because currently we're not where we want to be. So why not leverage those relationships and provide opportunities for those individuals who are benefiting from our philanthropic grants so that they can become our workforce
0: i love the idea of building career pathways where individuals can uh, earn a living wage and really build a future for themselves with opportunities and you know this reminds me also of the study that energy funds as well the atlas report which is asset. Mm-hmm limited, income constrained, but employed. And essentially it's individuals who, who have full-time work and are working hard and, and are handling their responsibilities, but um, there's still challenges given the economic opportunities within our part of the country and within our state. And so I think using that as a data point and understanding uh, and being empathic to the challenges that different families and individuals face, the opportunities and the investments that you've made seem like a very clear path to help address some of those issues. Going back to the education component, you know, we've discussed how education has changed and uh, certainly Teach for America's uh, footprint has changed after Katrina with the groundswell of energy and excitement. And I think everyone can agree that we made some pretty major strides towards education reform in that time period. I'm curious as we've kind of gone to a point now where I believe, uh, Joel, you had mentioned we're taking in about 90 to 100 members in our region now. What is the national perception around education reform and the education system within New Orleans and within our region? And how does that play into attracting some of that talent to our area?
2: Yeah,
1: that's a really good question. I have something in my head right now, but even just reflecting on what Patty was sharing around, um, Also why I feel like there's just such alignment with our partnership because I think 30 years in, what we're focused more so on now is the intersectionality of education and economic mobility in particular. I would say 30 years ago, we were way more narrowly focused on education being the lever and to bring in your question, Stephen, we did see a lot of progress. I mean, graduation rates more than tripling over the past 13 years, like, increase in the number of students receiving top scholarship that would give them access to free tuition at, you know, in-state colleges here. What we also started seeing happening was that you can't really graduate your way out of poverty. You can't achieve your way sort of out of the institutional racism and the systemic structures that really hold our, our students back. And so our ability to be more rigorous in the intersectionality of how things like poverty solutions, our environmental landscape, particularly being here in Southeast Louisiana, and and surfacing those and Im- embedding those into the experience for our teachers that they are then imparting on their students is just really critical because the work that we were doing that we're doing inside of classrooms is necessary but insufficient. And so when I reflect on the past fifteen years. I am so proud. We did a tremendous amount of work. I mean, when you think about the national stage, students of education in college right now are learning about New Orleans, right? They are learning in school right now, the benefits and the drawbacks of essentially building our nation's first free market education system, what it means to push decisions closer to kids, the very fine balance between autonomy and accountability and how that Enables nimbleness to allow different curriculums, different choices, hiring and firing, like all of the things that we did. There are cities across this entire country that are seeking to emulate that. I do think we got the boost. You know, it's really hard, you know, like you were mentioning, Patty, to sometimes talk about that silver lining because it was so devastating that it's really even hard to imagine what good, if you will, came from something that really tore apart the lives and forever changed our city. But we did have that jolt from the storm and we were able to build something that literally still has not been able to be built anywhere else in our country. And to me, we should really be proud of that. But I think when we look and we're this far out from that moment in time, I think, and and then when I reflect on the events of even last year, um, the murder of George Floyd, et cetera, I think we have to really be thinking boldly and differently about school. Uh, and what the litmus test of success actually looks like for us. And I think that litmus tests were things like graduation rates, increased attendance, ACT scores. And, and that is really great. But what we learned was that we were sending a bunch of kids to college who still weren't ready. Because we were, were operating at 47 48 49th, and 50th in everything. And so the more that we can establish the kinds of partnerships, like with Entergy, like with Norley, the kinds of um, opportunities that we put in front of our teachers and then therefore our students, I just think it's like with, with progress becomes more problems, right? And so there are a set of things that we really did solve and that we should be proud of. And yet, I wouldn't go to any other city and say hey do exactly what we did here in New Orleans, because there are tremendous amount of lessons that we learned about what makes it really, really, really hard. The loss of economies of scale because every single school was trying to figure out individual things like busing, you know themselves that doesn't happen in a traditional district so. I would just say um, we need more leaders at the table that are asking themselves the critical questions. And for me, I continue to do my work at Teach for America because I believe leadership matters. And we have we have a long way to go still in Louisiana.
2: We, we do um, for sure. Um, but one thing I wanna jump in and, and, and mention is that we learned a lot of lessons in New Orleans and other cities can look at the examples and the lessons here And they can learn as much from the failures as they can from the successes. And hopefully that will put them on a ramp to uh, accelerate improvements in in their schools. And, and, you know, one example I'll point to is Baton Rouge, which has largely emulated the path that New Orleans has taken. And they've been having tremendous success as well. Um, We're also seeing um, success in Little Rock. So we're, we're taking the lessons learned here and we're exporting them to other communities and other, and other partners that we engage with in those communities.
1: Absolutely. Detroit, Colorado, Chicago, the many, many, many folks are learning from us. But I think that that's sort of like the gift and the curse of actually being on the cutting edge because sort of we, we led much of that transformation effort. And so for us, it's now about us asking ourselves, What are the new sets of questions that we have to ask ourselves? How might we do our own self-reflection and learning? And for me, just reflecting on this past year, which taught us that everything could change literally in a matter of moments, I think what really continued to rear its head again because what we worked on over the past 15 years is trying to figure out how to advance an equity agenda. How do we create a level playing field for schools? How do we how do we ensure that parents have access to any school and that they don't have to just go to the school down the street if that's not the best option for their kid? And what this past year surfaced for me, again, is that like this work really is about equity. Because when we think about the impact of the coronavirus, just like that, again, we started to see how inequity started to plague a certain subset of students again, even though we worked you know, for the for the past 15 years to really build a system that sought to address that. And so I just always say that I feel like our work is perpetual. It's like the more progress that we make, the more work we have to do to sort of examine um, how that is, because inequity is insidious. And when it's operating at its at its best, it's actually quite invisible. And then you have moments like Katrina and then you have moments like this past year with the coronavirus that remind you where we have to be focused. Uh, and I think our ability as a city to stay focused on an equity agenda that intersects with education, intersects with workforce development, intersects with poverty, et cetera. All of our leaders need to be thinking about how that's all the same. And I think that that's the main thing for me that has evolved over time that I'm most proud of that we, that we do as a city. Cause I would say 15 years ago, this was education over here in one you know tower economic development was over here in another tower you know environmental work on our coast was in a different tower. I think norley you know that was also something that I learned being a norley classmate around how we actually all need to be sitting at the same table even though we're in different industries and I think the the more we can push that experience like the kind of experience that we get in something like norley closer to our kids, I think the faster we make progress
2: you know one of the things that Uh, that Stephen has been exploring has been the possibility of developing a youth leadership program Similar to Norley, but for young people. So um, that may be something we get into in the future.
1: I was going to say, and we have lots of core members and lots of students, so we have we can make that happen pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were pretty excited about it, and then COVID hit. We we were hoping for a launch within the next year, year and a half, and um, so we still have hopes and plans and intentions of doing it at some point in the future because I think it would provide an invaluable resource and. You know, Joy, you you hit on something that I think is really particularly valuable within the Norley experience, which is that obviously we have our seven full day session days and we we delve into specific topics on the on those days, be it education or economic development, public policy, criminal justice, environment, sustainability. But the other thing that we try to do is tease out how these different topics uh, interact with one another. Because all these topics and all the issues that we talk about are highly complex and hinge upon what happens in other spaces. So if we're talking about K through 12 education, you know that can bring up conversations about the school to prison pipeline. It could bring up conversations about workforce development. And then if we're talking about workforce development, that could bring up other threads about opportunities for individuals in emerging environmental and water management within the greater New Orleans region. And again, going back, I think it's so important to have everybody at the same table to share ideas, share talent, share their human capital and figure out, well, what does this shared vision look like and how do we move forward in a way that positively impacts everybody for the betterment of our region. And so I I loved so much of what y'all have mentioned. And if we can take those concepts and even present it at a broader scale, to, uh, to students and younger kids to where they can kind of start understanding how these things interact and understand the broader environment and scope in which we operate. That's only gonna benefit us for the future.
2: You know, to, to Joy's point, um, one of the results of COVID was to, to peel back the curtain and to make very obvious to everybody how inequities impact everything across the spectrum of, of society. And, you know, looking looking at education, immediately technology and access to technology from from one day to the next, there were, you know, huge numbers of students who could not learn, who didn't have the tools that they needed to learn, and um, and and that's something that Entergy has been working on uh, addressing. There's a national initiative that was launched by Procter and Gamble called Take on Race. Uh, national corporations are uh, engaged. The initiative has identified key obstacles to equity and one of those being access to technology. So Entergy has aligned itself with that, um, with that focus area. And there's an initiative underway right now to put um, 1 million connected devices into the hands of black and brown students uh, during this year. And so we've been working on that both from the standpoint of providing Uh, refurbished laptops to students in need, as well as providing grants to school districts to enable them to to buy hotspots and Chromebooks and other tools that that students need. Here in New Orleans, um, I have to commend the New Orleans School Board because I want to say it was maybe a week or max two after the COVID shutdown that they realized this was not going to be a short-term issue. It wasn't going to be a matter of weeks or even a couple of months, but this was going to be a long-term challenge for students and they needed to act quickly to get their hands on as many devices as they could for students in Orleans Parish because there was a finite number of devices and school districts across the country were were, competing to get those devices for their students and they needed to raise, I think they had a goal of raising $2 million within a matter of weeks to purchase Chromebooks for Orleans Parish students. And they worked with a lot of uh, national foundations and organizations to, to get that accomplished, but they needed to be able to show local support in buy-in. So within the first two weeks, Entergy was able to commit $100,000 to sort of help kids kick, kickstart uh, that effort and um, and help them get the devices that they needed before the supply dried up.
1: Also, just want to acknowledge the school leaders, many of whom are Teacher America alums who rallied so quickly, um, oh,
2: yeah.
1: establish food. Uh, and that's kind of the, what we were just talking about around the intersectionality of all these issues. You know, school is also where many of our students, um, their primary source of, of nourishment and, and food. And when school shut down on March 13th, I, I will never forget, it was Friday the 13th, when the governor made that announcement. Um, gosh, it was just like a mad scramble. and. It, it just shows what's possible when people are connected and committed because despite being a decentralized system to see our school leaders come together so quickly to figure out how to establish feeding centers um figuring out protocol as things were changing at this you know with the cdc literally by the hour we were learning new information about what we should or shouldn't be doing and so there were just so many things to commend the leaders in our city and i think that that's That is kind of who we are here in like Louisiana. Like, you know, there's always the word uh, resilient that's used, but I always add like scrappy to that too. It's like when we're in crisis, we know how to get stuff done.
2: We do crisis well.
1: (laughs) Crisis. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad (laughs)
2: thing. Maybe it's born from experience. We've had so many crises. Yes. Um,
1: So many. And then something that also happened too, we talk, we focus and as we should on Um, our kids and what they were experiencing, particularly with the lack of technology. But very silently, something else that we were focusing on at Teach for America was how to support our teachers. Because we sort of don't talk very frequently that we threw educators in there and we told them, hey, by the way, start teaching online. You've never done that before. Uh, All of our systems are so you know, rooted in relationship, getting to know your kids, being in person with them. And then we said, hey, teachers, go on ahead and uh, figure out how to get this done. And so the biggest shout out that I have is for our educators who figured out how to establish culture uh, and relationships through the screen, how to teach on Zoom. And they're sort of like with inequity completely wrapped in that too. If you've been an educator for 20 years and you've done this job in person, And then you were expected to turn around and do it online. I just saw teachers give everything that they had, uh, as well as parents who just became instant educators (laughs) and were trying to figure out how to keep their job, keep a household, keep their kids online. And so the whole community just came together. And um, I think that the aftermath of the coronavirus and the inequity therein is still yet to be seen. But like Patty mentioned, I think... Every now and again, you need the light switch turned on to actually understand what this work is about. And I think this past year really showed us that we have to have a commitment to equity. You have to have a commitment to anti-racism because those are the lines by which the inequity is continuing to manifest. Um, our Black and brown students are having a fundamentally different experience still every time something happens and our ability to just keep our, our energy and our, and our focus on that, I think, is going to be really, really critical.
0: Absolutely. And so to start winding this down, I, 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 Joy, I think you very succinctly kind of put forward your vision for the future and, and the directions and the things where we really need to focus our energies and, and talents on. Patty, how do you see energy supporting uh, education moving forward and, and continuing to build a, help build a robust uh, workforce for the jobs of tomorrow? And what does that look like for our region?
2: So um, we, we are going to continue our investments in education and, and solidifying our partnerships with organizations uh, like Teach for America that are making um, significant and lasting impacts in that space. Um, and I want to share one story as, as we wrap up that really describes um, well, uh, not only Teach for America's impact, but the results of Entergy's investments in the entire um, education ecosystem here in, in, in New Orleans. And it, it's, it's the story of one person. But it's actually the story of of many, many people who have traveled similar paths. and And this individual is Jonathan Johnson. He <laughs> is the leader of the rooted School in New Orleans. And uh, his path uh, started with, you know, he came to the city post Katrina as a Teach for America core member. It was not his intention to, to have education be his life's work. But um, through that experience, he decided that was where he really needed to be. So he finished his, his year as a, as a core member, his two years, went to work as a faculty member at KIPP, which is another energy strategic partner in education, worked in the KIPP schools, had a, a concept for an idea of a, of a school that he wanted to create that would Equip students with the skills that they need to earn a living, you know, coming out of high school, and so that concept was the Rooted Schools uh, 4.0 Schools. Another Energy grantee incubated that concept. He also received support from New Schools for New Orleans, another Energy grantee, and then ultimately, a few years ago, was able to to see his vision come to fruition as he launched uh, the Rooted Schools. They've been in operation now for a few years, and recently Jonathan approached Entergy with a program that he created, a fellowship program that provides a one-year full-time living wage internship for the graduates of those students with local companies, and Entergy has now hired two of those graduates. And so it really shows the complete cycle and, and the benefits of and the importance of investments and corporate philanthropy in education. It really is. It just feeds from one from one step to the next and is a critical part of our work and critical to our workforce development. So we're excited about continuing that cycle and and continuing to see what comes from that.
0: Well, thank you both so much for your tireless energy and efforts in support of education. I appreciate the conversation. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Leadership Dialogues. We'd like to thank our annual sponsors who support help make Norley programs available in the greater New Orleans region. Our pinnacle sponsor is Entergy. Our legacy of leadership sponsor is Atmos. Our support sponsors are Jones Walker and Gamble Communications. Our stakeholder sponsors are Iberia Bank, Metairie Bank, the Miro Foundation, the Port of New Orleans, and Home Bank. And our recognized partner is Greater New Orleans, Inc.